0: Hello, welcome to my camp. My name is Monty Church. I come out here when I need peace and quiet, when I need time just to think. Like my native ancestors before me, I have a tremendous respect for nature. Out here in nature, I learn about my maker, our great spirit God. In a way, it also keeps me in touch with my native ancestry. Sometimes, staring into the fire, I imagine my forefathers gathered around their council fires, talking about important matters and making decisions that would affect their lives and the lives of all their families. Actually, I'm here to do the same thing, to think about decisions that affect my life now and in the future. That's why I've chosen to meet you here around my campfire, because if you choose, the stories and the experience that I'll share with you can dramatically change your life. When I hike, I always bring along a valuable treasure that my ancestors didn't have. It's a book that you've probably seen before, the Bible. This book is precious to me because of the way it's changed my life. That's why I'm here, to share with you some experiences to show you just how valuable this book is. The Bible is really a collection of many books written over several centuries by men as they were inspired by God. There's a lot of story and drama in these pages, it's hard to believe that centuries ago the Bible was hard to come by at one time it was actually against the law for the common man to read the Bible for himself in some periods of history people risked prison torture even death in order to possess a few pages for themselves fortunately these days are past today we can all own as many Bibles as we wish it's interesting to me that the same Bible that people risked their lives for centuries ago, today so often lies on our shelves unused and gathering dust. Why is that? A book that was important enough to die for centuries ago now has no value? Is our world too modern today to use such an old book? Or is it that people simply haven't discovered its worth? More personally, What about our native people today? We have our own unique heritage and culture. What can the Bible do for us? I feel sad when I see what's happened to our culture today. The last 200 years have reduced us to mere remnants of what were once many proud nations. We see our people devastated by alcoholism and drugs we're seeing our beautiful lands being polluted and destroyed it's no wonder our people often have no hope I study my Bible looking for answers to questions and problems like these some time ago I read something from the Bible that I realized specifically applies to us and that is that God says that we are to teach what the Bible says to every nation and kindred and tongue and people This commission included the tongue and tribe of my own Mohawk nation, as well as all the other sister nations of this land. Unfortunately, when Europeans first brought the Bible to this land, their early missionaries thought that bringing the good news meant changing us to be like them and their culture. Actually, the Bible deals with this very issue. In the first Christian church, The first missionaries that went out thought that they had to make people Jewish before they could be Christians. The Apostle Paul taught that this just wasn't right. The Bible was never meant to take away from our culture, but to make it even richer. As a pastor, I come across all kinds of people in every walk of life. I've seen some of the poorest examples of humanity dramatically changed by the power of the gospel when it seemed like their life circumstances were insurmountable. Some of these people were exposed to the Bible when they were young, but they forgot it. Others were never interested to see what it might contain. Probably the best way to demonstrate to you the power of the Bible is not to tell you, but to show you by visiting some of the people whose lives have been directly changed by the Bible through different circumstances and events. I'd like you to meet a friend of mine. His name is Emilio Gomez. Now, he looks like a man of peace, doesn't he? And he is. He has a lovely family, a wife and children who adore him, and many friends who care for him. If you should visit his home and watch his family working together, or just see them pray around the table, you'd never guess that his life hasn't always been this way. There was a time when Amita's life was very different and very dark. And he doesn't mind telling you just how much his life has been changed. The first time that I was uh,
1: apprehended was for an armed robbery that went wrong, armed robbery and assault with deadly weapon, a couple of counts. When I was in prison in Huntsville, the prison is actually run by convicts. And uh, I happened to be in a in a prison there, there was a maximum security prison. And the majority of the the convicts there were doing a lot of time. Fifty-year sentences was a very, very small amount of time. So several were doing 400-year uh, sentences, 500-year sentences, double life, triple life sentences, things like that. And those type of people have nothing to lose. so. One of the things that I did on the street, I was uh, an enforcer. I worked for some uh, crooked judges and politicians uh, where life was cheap and I was paid to beat up people and got to the point where I told them to just uh, give me more money and they would never have to see the person again. And so I was in prison with that type of people, those type of people and uh, when you have a sentence three life sentences to do life doesn't mean a thing it's worthless you, know. you can't put a price on it so yes there's fear several times in my life I kept thinking that I would uh, find utopia you know just where it was always happiness and everything would be exciting and, and really neat but uh, just never never found it ever just when I thought I was on the verge something would happen and that would be the end of that I thought that if I had enough money I could buy whatever I wanted and have everything that I wanted. I love to sail and airplanes and fast cars and things like that and I thought if I had enough money I could buy those things and uh, when I have uh, it just just wasn't there. You know it was dull and unexciting.
0: It looked like Emilio was headed for a life sentence in a maximum security prison. To him it seemed life was over.
1: It's uh, just a, a very empty, lonely feeling to, to be locked up and uh, know that you can't go out. Here I was looking for freedom and, and pleasure and enjoyment, and when I was in, in prison, it was uh, the exact opposite, just nothing there at all.
0: During many long and lonely nights in prison, Amelia had time for thinking and time for regrets
1: the one thing that I regret about that lifestyle is the fact that I abandoned my children four lovely children and uh, I didn't get to see them until after I became a Christian nineteen years later and so that's the worst thing that I have ever done in my life
0: Emilio eventually finished his prison sentence. He had a chance to start all over again and to turn his life around, but he didn't. Eventually, he was arrested again and sent back to prison with even darker prospects for the future.
1: The thing that really set me back was when that uh, judge sentenced me the second time. He told me that if I ever came before him again, for whatever reason. It wouldn't have to be a felony, even a misdemeanor. He would uh, then file a habitual criminal charge against me and then he could uh, send me to life for the rest of I mean, sent me to prison for the rest of my life. I knew that uh, I had to do some very serious thinking. Before that, every time I was in jail or in prison, I spent my time figuring out how to do my next job without getting caught. But eventually, you know, I kept getting caught. So this time it caused me to do a lot of serious uh, thinking and I figured that I would pull one last job. When I got out, I would pull a great, you know, a big one job that would give me plenty of money and I would move out of the country and go to South America or Australia or somewhere and start over and then I wouldn't have to face uh, that prospect of life in prison.
0: I mean, you might have been planning one more job, but a higher power hadn't given up on him. God had other plans.
1: I had come to a point in my life when I didn't believe in God. I was a, an agnostic for sure, close to being a, an atheist, you know, thinking that there was no God. I was mad at God and everything, and so I wasn't praying. But my mom had become a Christian and at some point in her life she was she gave her life completely totally to the Lord a committed Christian and she began to pray I was uh, over here in in Arizona and I had a a feeling that I ought to go to Texas and I haven't hadn't been to Texas to see my mom for many years because I was mad at her and so I had a feeling to go to Texas and I just couldn't shake it I went down to Phoenix and I spent about two or three days down there and then uh, from there I still just just had an urge you know an overpowering urge to go to Texas and so I finally went down there when I got there I found out that my mom was in the hospital and she had uh, terminal cancer she was supposed to have surgery the following morning and when I saw my mom she said uh, I'm so glad you're here you know I I tried to write to you and she was so old that she couldn't write And she said, I tried to send a telegram, and uh, they don't uh, deliver telegrams on the reservation. And I didn't have a telephone. She said, I wanted to call you. You didn't have a telephone. So I did uh, what I thought was best. I just asked God. I asked God to do me a favor and, and send you here so I could see you. And thank God that he's answered my prayer, and I get to see you again once at least before I die. So right then I knew that there is, there had to be a God who does answer prayers. I could just, I sensed the power of God. And so my mom went to the the hospital the next day and I went with her. I was there, spent about 10 days with her in the intensive care unit. and that's when I gave my heart to the Lord.
0: It's still an emotional experience for Emilio. One day he's an ex-con thinking of how he's going to pull off his next big job. And the next, it seems, his life is turned in an entirely different direction. How did this all come about? Emilio simply became hungry for God. And he began to study and learn about Him through the study of the Holy Bible. He began to understand that the terrible emptiness and loneliness that he felt came from ignoring the still small voice which calls us all to God. Because of this, his story isn't over. I asked him how his life has changed.
1: The Bible is uh, very real, you know, very real to me, made a tremendous change in my life in fact uh, it's caused a a miracle to happen in my life my whole lifestyle has changed uh, dramatically you know just 100 percent and I believe in God 100 percent I've committed my life to him ever since then and at the beginning there was a few rough spots but I knew that I would never go back to the life that I had led before. Before I used to live with a gun under my pillow, always by my side and always afraid, you know, just paranoid, total fear and now I know total peace. Beautiful.
0: Amelia's life is different than he planned. He never went to Australia or South America. Instead, now he's traveling in Alaska and Canada telling Indian and Eskimo groups his story to encourage others who may be going the wrong direction
1: If I could tell uh, my fellow Native Americans one thing about the Bible, I say would just uh, believe it because it 's true. Ask uh, the Lord Jesus Christ you know for wisdom and understanding, God will grant wisdom through his holy Spirit, and He will give you power to understand the Bible. He will make it plain and simple. Everything that I have done in the past, I see it over and over in the Bible that other Men and women have done. And I find that uh, prostitutes, murderers, killers, you know, thieves, everyone, people just like myself, uh, who have been freely forgiven. And so we have the hope of eternal life. And so the Bible has the answer to all of our problems, you know, and, just, uh, and also give us, gives us a guideline how to live our
0: life. Eventually, Emilio became reacquainted with his four children, whom he thought he had lost long before. Recently, one of them came to Amelia for help with a drug addiction problem. Because of the influence of his father's life, his son's life was entirely changed. This is just one example of how the Bible can change a person's life and the lives of those around him. Most of us at one time or another have faced tragedies that have caused us to ask questions that seemingly have no answers. Terminal illness, crippling accidents, even death. At times like these, we're caused to ask questions like, Why, God, why? We go through such terrible pain and anger, even anger at God. It's at times like this that only the Bible's promises can bring us hope and peace. This is the island of Sitka, Alaska, where the main industry is lumber and fishing years ago I was a pastor to a family here whose lives were shattered by an unexpected tragedy Irving Ungedruck was an air traffic controller trained to be cool and calm in any emergency his wife Mabel also had a difficult job raising seven children but one day I had to give them the news that one of their daughters was dead I was at work and the telephone rang and and,
2: uh, it was our new pastor, Pastor Monty Church. He says, I think, Irving, I think you better come home right away. And uh, all kinds of th- thoughts coming on. I thought, oh, maybe Mabel is sick. Maybe she's had a heart attack or something. I don't remember how fast I came home. I, I don't remember being on the bridge. But when I came in, uh, you were there and then Mabel seemed to be all right, but she was crying, as Marilyn was crying. And then Mabel said, Carol is dead. We couldn't believe it. Carol is dead.
3: Carol, she has her own family. She has her husband to take care of, you know. I couldn't believe it. And then I tried to cry. I couldn't cry either.
2: I I could not believe it that you did, because Carol is just married two months earlier. She seemed to be happy. There must be something wrong here.
3: I asked him what happened, and he said Don was cleaning up the gun, and um, it went off, and he heard a big thud. So he went back to see Carol was bending over the um, door of a dryer. The bullet went through her left shoulder, right shoulder through her heart. So policeman said she died instantly. She said that was a comfort. I said, what comfort? I asked him, what comfort?
2: I couldn't believe that he would go deliberately shoot her or, or uh, be so uh, careless. If it, was, if it was an accident, he, he could something that could be prevented.
0: The Ungadruks began a normal grieving process, first denial and then anger at God and at Carol's husband.
3: I was praying and praying after you left and Irving came and we realized that we're helpless. We were just broken. I didn't I asked the Lord, where are you? You know, are you seeing our uh, tragedy here? Do you feel as we do? When I heard he killed her, I just hated him. I wanted him dead right now. When Irving came and told me he saw Dan, I said, did you hate him? I wanted to him to If I were there, I'd just hate him and hate him until I feel satisfied. I don't know what.
0: As time went on, the ungodrucks began to heal. But now they had other questions that only the Bible could answer, like, where was Carol now? Was there life after death? Was there a chance he would ever see Carol alive again? Irving began to find hope in the stories and the lessons of the Bible, especially the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead.
2: You know, Jesus was a good friend of Lazarus. When he heard the news, he wept. This is, very, this is very important to me, that Jesus did weep when I heard about Lazarus. But then he said, Lazarus is dead, he's only asleep and I'm going to go and wake him up same day someday Jesus will come and wake up Carol also the rest if we are dead by that time and this is our hope that we will wake up with Carol there is a hope that Jesus is going to come soon and take us away from all this tragedy all this sorrow all this death that someday we will end up in where there is no death no sorrow and. Uh, I believe that. That's, where that's I take the Bible as the word of God.
3: God can turn our sorrow into joy. Someday we're going to see a G- uh, carol and G- with Jesus in heaven in that beautiful shore. It'll be a joy. It doesn't enter the mind or thoughts or a sight or hearing what that beautiful world will be all our sorrows will be nothing compared to what is going to be up there. And the Bible means everything. I read it through several times. Every time I read through, I find something glorious in it.
0: The younger drugs have resumed their lives and continue to enjoy their children. The Bible continues to be a source of guidance and comfort to them.
2: I learned that I am not self-sufficient. I need God I need him to uh, sustain me. I need him to give me the courage and the strength. Without God, you can't do anything. But if you do turn everything over to God, then the the peace comes, the understanding comes.
3: If I had learned something out of this um, tragedy we went through, I find patient. I learned to wait on the Lord. We're so impatient here on earth. We go ahead and do something. But I learned that wait on the Lord and he will open the heavens for you with his blessings.
0: Well, you've met just two families whose lives have been changed by this wonderful book. I know many other native brothers and sisters just like them. To these people, these scriptures have meant new life a new hope. The Bible itself tells us how it can be used. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says all scripture is inspired by God and given to us for teaching or doctrine, for reproof, for correction, training and understanding God's plan for our future. It simply means that God has a way for us to live that ensures our greatest happiness. Did you notice one thing that both these families had in common that they talked about? And that was peace. They both were able to find peace after tragedy, struggle, and wrong choices. But you say, I've never been a robber. I've never gone to prison. I've never had a lot of tragedy. In fact, I've lived a pretty successful life. What's in the Bible for me? To answer that question, I want to take you on a short trip. This is the Bristol Bay area of southwestern Alaska. In this part of the world, our native people depend upon salmon fishing for their livelihood. Millions of red sockeye are harvested every year. These waters look smooth and innocent enough. The water is shallow with smooth sand underneath. But therein lies the danger. Just off the shores of Naknek, Alaska, the tides can drop as much as 24 feet in just six hours. Dropping that far so rapidly means that the shallow water can be moving out to sea as fast as 20 to 40 miles an hour. If you're not careful, a boat can suddenly catch its keel or bottom in the sand and be flipped over and over in the fast-moving water until it's pounded to pieces. In spite of considerable skill and experience, many men have lost their lives here. So many, in fact. The area has become known as Dead Man's Sands. But tragically, many of these deaths might have been prevented. This is a tide book. It's a guide that lists the time of every high and low tide for every day of the year. Every fisherman carries one of these from the time he gets on the boat in the spring to the time he puts his boat away in the fall. Every fisherman knows that this guide book is essential to his safety and success. And the treacherous tides of dead man's sands it could save his life. Many fishermen who died here didn't consult this book, or maybe they just ignored the information it contained. Like the Tide Book, the Bible is a source of information and warnings of the dangers in this life. In your life, have you ever felt like you are caught in a treacherous tide, or that you're being pounded to pieces, or maybe you don't have any hope? The Bible isn't only a book of answers, but of lessons that others have learned the hard way. It's also a book of promises of what life can be living close to God. You know, we live in a time of uncertainty. It's increasingly hard to think of what our children have to face in the future. All around us we see dishonesty and lying and cheating. Religious leaders fail to live up to the standards of morality and integrity that they preach from their pulpits. Families seem to fall apart under the stress of living today. Like many of you, I know what it's like to grow up around alcoholism. I know what it's like to be without hope. But yet, I know what it's like to discover God's plan for my life. My family has experienced tremendous deliverance from many of life's problems. This is a book that you can trust. Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce tribe called it the Book of Heaven. It is God's written promises of healing and change and freedom from habits which bring destruction to our lives. It turns us to the one person that we can trust and receive help from, and that's Jesus. In this series of campfire videos, we'll explore God's plan for your life today and for your future. What are you struggling with today? Alcohol, drugs, divorce, tragedy. There's no problem too big that God can't solve. I recommend to you the word of the great spirit. Until we meet at my campfire again, may only the good spirit guide you.